Um, so this story is kind of tough after a celebration like that, but um, do you guys know the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, like everyone? Some of you. All right. Two. We got two people that know Dietrich Bonhoeffer. For those of you that don't, let me give you the fast version. He grew up in an aristocratic family in Germany. His mom was the daughter of a pastor. His dad was a physician and a professor. And so everyone expected Dietrich to follow in his dad's footsteps and become like this great mind in Germany as a professor or a doctor. And yet at 16 years old, he went to his dad and he said, Dad, I don't, I don't really feel called to be a professor. I want to go into ministry which is exactly what he did. At the age of 21, he graduated from the University of Berlin, and he moved to Spain. He went to Spain so that he could um, be an associate pastor there, an assistant pastor in a German-speaking congregation. And then so as this young guy, 21 years old, he's like, man, I got more I need to learn. So he packed up everything, and he moved to the United States to go to seminary, which is graduate school for pastors. And so he's like, I'm going to grad school. He's in the United States now in New York, and that's where this chancellor starts to rise to power in Germany named Adolf Hitler. And Hitler, of course, changed the face of Germany uh, at that time. In fact, the church wasn't immune to that, right? The church figured out real fast that they had to claim nationalism in Germany in the Third Reich even over Christ or there was going to be persecution. And so the church started to drastically change. That's when Dietrich said, I can't just stay in the United States. I have to go home so he went back and he, he uh, went to Germany. And when he got to Germany, he joined Karl Barth and some other theologians and joined what was called the Confessing, uh, the Confessing Church Movement. And what the Confessing Church Movement said is they said that our alliance, our allegiance is to Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Over nationalism, over patriotism, over Germany, our allegiance is to Christ and so that's when he started this underground seminary, and this seminary is when he wrote The Cost of Discipleship. It's kind of a classic in Christian reading now, The Cost of Discipleship. And in the seminary that he started, they focused on scripture reading, they, they focused on community with each other, they focused on theological confession and prayer, and he wrote this. He said, Christianity means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. Can you imagine can you imagine coming together and meeting together with other Christians, thinking to yourself, if we get caught, it could cost us our lives. With what we're studying, with the things that we're saying, with what we believe to be true, if we get caught, it could cost us our lives, which is what happened to Dietrich. He ended up becoming a martyr on April the 9th, 1945. He was killed by the Nazis. Now, if you're kind of a history nerd, April the 9th, 1945, you realize this is just weeks before the Germans surrendered to the Allied forces. Here's the reason I share this story with you. And not that I think any of us will have, ever have to face what they faced in Nazi Germany, and not because I think most in this room will end up in an underground seminary. I share it because I think men, women, teen, and children in Southeast Michigan, that we can hear that story and be challenged in it today. That we can hear that story and think that's how we're supposed to live community. That's how we're supposed to live faith. So in light of that story, take your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, where this talks about the birth of the early church. Uh, this last section just gives us this awesome picture of the church family 
Last week, we started the series, if you remember, and we talked about how there's commitments that the early church made. The first commitment was to the Word of God and to prayer, to the Word of God and to prayer. And then I showed some funny pictures. Do you remember that, family pictures? Because it's kind of us. If you think about us like a family photo, we're kind of that family that can't take the family photo. We're a mess. We get so distracted with everything else. You know, so you always got one person looking off this way and one person that way. Like, we're just kind of all over the place. What this does is it takes us back to Acts 2, takes us back to the early church. And it shows us the commitments that they made, just back to the foundations of what it means to be a family of God. Week number one, the commitment was to the Word of God and prayer. This week, our big idea and the second commitment is commit to a life in Christ-centered community. Commit to a life in Christ-centered community. Christ-centered community at Woodside for five years now, we've called that groups. Groups is where we come together and we do life together, right? Christ-centered community. We've called it groups for five years. Before that, I think it was neighborhood groups before that, and I think it was missional communities before that. If you go all the way back to First Baptist Romeo days, we called it Sunday school, didn't we? Like way back in the day. I just, I share all that to say over this upcoming season, we're going to sharpen the name again, right? Just just to give a picture, because I think when you hear groups, the way it was explained to me, like that group could be like, oh, I like Michigan. No, I like Michigan State. Go green, go white, you know? And so it's, those are kind of groups of people. But we're going to start calling this life groups, because that's really what we're talking about doing. We're talking about doing life together. And when you join Woodside Bible Church, that's one of the two commitments that you make. You make commitments when you join Woodside. You make a commitment to this large gathering that we do. And I just want you to know, you guys are incredibly committed to that. I see it Sunday after Sunday as we come together. You also commit to not only worship gatherings, but to life groups. And through that is how we live out our values. Our values would be things like we are family who love and who live the word, right? That's where we live that out. So when it comes to a life group, there's two avenues that we live out a life group. A life group is done through fellowship and it's done through food. Let me talk about food because my life group meets on Taco Tuesday nights because it's just convenient, right? Taco Tuesday is an excuse to get, to, I'm not even joking, Taco Tuesday. That's when we do it. We do it the second and the fourth. And so if you live anywhere near Waterford and if you like tacos, that's not a requirement, but it really helps if you like tacos. So if you like tacos and you live near Waterford and you're not already in a life group, Second, fourth Tuesday, come on over. You're invited. You're invited to join our life group. There you go. Open invitation. And you can come on over to the house and join us. So food is, and I'm going to come back to food. First, let's talk about fellowship. Devote yourselves to fellowship. Look at Acts 2, verse 42. It says this. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, I know I mentioned this last week, but the word fellowship we've hijacked a little bit to mean cookies and punch, and it's so much deeper than that. Some of you that have been in church for a long time, you know that, don't you? Because back in the day when they would build church buildings, you couldn't build a church building without a fellowship hall, could you? 
You had to have that fellowship hall for the fellowship gatherings that you would have. And it was such a regular rhythm of the church. Well, people's lives have changed today. We just do life different. But the calling to biblical fellowship has not changed. The calling to authentic, real fellowship is just as relevant today as it's ever been. And so scholars say there's two types of fellowship that you see in verse 42. There's a fellowship where people share their faith with each other, and there's a, a fellowship where they share their lives with each other. Let's talk about faith first, sharing their faith together. If you think about sharing your faith together, you've got to remember the context right now. The context, the church went from 120 people, right, 120 believers, to then Peter preached at Pentecost, and 3,000 were added to their number. So now you have all these new Christians meeting together and doing life together. They're sharing their faith. Again, their commonality is not you like blue, I like blue, or what. That's not the commonality. The commonality is in Christ. I like how John says it, 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. He writes this about fellowship. He says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So you see the focused effort on the fellowship. But then Paul comes along into the church in Ephesus. He goes a next step in describing the depth of the fellowship. He says, for through Him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So, so all of a sudden, Paul's starting to talk about this citizenship that we share together because of fellowship. And then Peter, he one-ups it even more. First Peter 2, 9 through 11, he says, but you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So for those who are in Jesus Christ, we're citizens. We are, we are a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're a possession. We're a, we're a people. And my friends, that should change everything. Like that changes the way that you think and the way that you feel and the way that you serve. We should be different than the rest of the world. We absolutely, as a church, because of this truth, because of the fellowship that we share, it should change everything. So we have a shared faith in our fellowship. There's also a shared life in the fellowship, though, right? The word that you see in Acts 2, 42 through 47, and then in 32 through 37, where it's talking about the early church, is the word, the Greek word quanania, or quinos, right? It's the adjective form, but quanania. Quanania literally means to, to share, to have in common. Right, to have everything in common. And so do you see what's going on here? If, if one person over here has a need in the church, the people over here all pull their things together, and they come over here and they say, there, now you don't have a need. We've taken care of the need. That's what we do as a church. Isn't that powerful? Like, that is so good. Just so you know, though, that wasn't a requirement. You never see that in Scripture. You never see in Scripture that it says, hey, if someone has a need and you're joining this church, that you have to do it. Like it's, Jesus didn't do that, did he? He didn't say, hey, Andrew, Peter, James, John, y'all got a fishing business and I need some income, so sign over your fishing business here and then, then you can come follow me. That wasn't part of it. But I would also argue that 
what Jesus calls us to is so much deeper than that because it's to say everything I am is yours, Lord. Like it's not even my life. I've been purchased. My life is not my own. It's yours. It's so much deeper. Now I want you to think about the time, the last time you saw some great athlete retire. A gymnast, football, baseball, basketball. I don't care about the sport. That doesn't matter. But what happens is always the same. They show videos, and they say, look how good they used to be, right? There's that part of the process. And then people are going to get up, and they're going to talk about, like, people from the city. Let me tell you how good this person was for the city or the university or our organization or, or whatever. And then finally, the person will take the podium, and they're going to talk. Like, before long, Tom Brady, he's going to retire. Woo, it's going to be good, right? He's going to retire. The rest of the teams in the NFL can relax. He's going to re- so just imagine, Tom Brady's at the podium. Here's what he's not going to say. He's not going to say, you know what I'm going to miss about football? I'm going to miss when I'm turned one way to throw a pass, and I'm not looking back there, and that defensive end's come flying around, and he's just running, blowing snot at me, and just hits me right there really, really hard. Hits me so hard, my helmet digs into the grass, and I get up, and I got grass sticking out of my helmet, looking all silly. I'm really going to miss that. He's not going to say that, is he? You know what he's going to say? He's going to say, I'm going to miss the camaraderie. I'm I'm going to miss joining together with other people to do something that I can't do on my own. I can't win a Super Bowl on my own. Regardless of what some people might say, I can't do it on my own. I need that whole time. I'm going to miss that. My dad retired from the Army. I'm pretty old, so like my dad's really old now. Like he's he's really old. And um, but when my dad talks about the army days, he's going to listen to this and he's going to laugh. He's going to think that's really funny, and um, I'm going to laugh at myself thinking that was really funny. So my dad was in the army and he did everything the army guys do in the movies. Right, jumped out of the airplanes. He did that. Walked around in the jungles. You know, he did that. Um, wore the fancy clothes to bury a president. He was on the honor guard that buried President Truman. Like he did that. And yet when I've talked to my dad, all the stories, here's what my dad has never done. My dad has never said, you know, Billy, what I miss about the Army, I miss when it's 2.30 in the morning and I've just closed my eyes and some guy that doesn't like me very much starts knocking on trash cans and screaming and calling me names that, man, mama would be ashamed, you know, if, if she heard the names that I was called. And they make me put that big heavy backpack on and go walking up the mountain for the next five hours. He's never said he misses that. Not one time has he told me he misses that. He's never, ever told me he misses jumping at nighttime out of the, out of the airplanes because then you can't see the ground coming up. And those parachutes, they jump with you fall really fast and the ground hits you really hard. He's never said, I miss the feeling of my legs being up in my throat. He's never told me that. Never has he said, son, I really miss it. You know what he says, though? I, I miss that person standing right there and this person standing right here. And, and doing it side by side with these people. I'm, I miss that. Went to Ecuador a few weeks ago, as you guys know. And anytime someone has said, Billy, tell me the best part of the trip, my answer is always the same. There were 14 people who I got to work right alongside. They were the best. The absolute best. Because for one week, for one week, I got to serve alongside people who were the most selfless, Christ-centered people that you can imagine. It was amazing. Not one crossword, not one, complete selflessness. It was biblical community. That was the best. And so I guess my question to you is, do you have that biblical community in your life? Do you you have a life group? 
And when I say life group, I don't mean just the thing we sign up for, but I mean where you have someone looking at you and they help you belong. Like you feel like you belong here because of those people. That, that there's this belonging, that there's this growing aspect to it. Like they're not all that impressed with you, so they'll ask you hard questions. And they know where you're strong, and they know where you're not so strong, and they pray with you. And when something good happens in your life, they're the first people who are celebrating and hugging your neck. You know what I'm saying? Like that group, that group that's helping you grow, they want you to reach. They want you to reach your networks and neighbors. They're not content saying, let's just do our own little huddle here. No, we want to reach out to other people and invite other people in. Do you have have that place where you belong, grow, reach. Because that's what biblical family is. That's what we do spiritually coming together. That is a commitment that we make. And here's what I think. I think a lot of people in this room, the answer is, yeah, I do have that. I do. And it's awesome. And I love it. And there's some of you going, I tried once. Right? Some of you are like, I tried, but Tuesdays didn't work. And I hate tacos. So that didn't work. And so I'm not really in one of those right now. I don't really do that. Some of you would say, I tried to sign up, but that leader never followed up with me. So, oh, you know, and you'd kind of do that. Some of you are like, no, I did go to Taco Tuesday. Billy's weird. I don't ever want to go back to his group. You know, and so that happens, right? Sometimes just relationally, like it just doesn't do this like you need it to. Here's my encouragement to you, regardless of what the reason might be. Try again. If you tried four times, try again. Try five. If you tried 10, try again. Try 15. Like, keep trying. You've heard me say this so many times. You cannot read the Word of God and find Lone Ranger Christianity. You cannot find the example of the person who went off and they did it all by themselves in the New Testament. They're doing the faith journey all by themselves. And the Lord says, oh, see what they're doing? Do that because that's good. No, you know what we see? We see time and time and time again that they're meeting together. They're doing it in community together. They're doing the faith journey together. It's always together. So don't give up. Continue to press in, seeking for that place of fellowship. Next, we see the devotion of fellowship. We also see this devotion to the breaking of bread. Look again at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Five times, Luke writes in the book of Acts, five times that there was the breaking of bread. Because it was a very common practice in Jewish tradition to pray and to break the bread to start the meal. And coming together to eat was a very normal thing in the first century. Pretty normal today too, isn't it? My son just had his birthday, turned 21, so Friday night, what did we do? We went to eat, because that's still what we do. So we did in the first century, it's what we still do, right? Food is a part of our culture. What was not normal, what was uncommon, was the frequency that the early church ate together. And then the depth of the relationship, the depth of the, of the spiritual journey that they had together in those moments. Now, scholars say this is table ministry. Scholars say there's two types of table ministry. The first would be the informal gathering. If you look down at your Bible, Acts 2, just look ahead a little bit to verse 46. Just a little bit. Verse 46 says, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Your translation might say sincere hearts. This is the church's first potluck. 
That's what just happened. And if you're like, I'm new to church, what's a potluck? Let me explain potluck. Potluck is great. Amy loves potluck. She loves them. It's where like we would say, hey, we'll bring the brisket and you bring the salad and you bring that green stuff that normally we only eat at Thanksgiving. I don't know what it's called, but it's like fluffy and it's got marshmallows in it and it's green and like little pistachio nuts and it's awesome. Like you bring that. And so that's what potluck is, right? It's super informal. Kind of like picnic style. We're all just going to put our dishes out. We're all going to take a little bit, and we just talk and we eat together. That was part of the early church, but it happened all the time. Like it was so consistent in their rhythms, but that wasn't the only gathering they had. They also had formal gatherings. Formal gatherings is what Paul, throughout the rest of Scripture, will call the Lord's Supper. It's where they would literally eat a meal together, but then during a portion of the meal, he would stand up, he would take the bread, give things, and break the bread, and follow the example of Christ with the Last Supper. We do that the first week of every single month. That's how we spend our first week. We take the bread, and we talk about how it represents the body of Jesus that was broken for us. And when we eat, we remember And we take the cup and we say, this reminds us of the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. And when we drink, we remember. So it's a very, it should be formal in our approach. And yet sometimes drift happens, doesn't it? happen in the first century, it happens today. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, 17, he has to remind the church of what you're supposed to do before you eat the bread and drink the cup. You're supposed to prepare your hearts. If there's unconfessed sin, you should deal with that sin before you eat the bread and, and drink. You should have that time of dealing with the Lord. But you do realize that whether it's the first century or whether it's today, This taking of the Lord's Supper is really a foreshadowing of the banquet that's to come, right? You you do realize that. This is not just something we do looking back at the past. This is something that we do looking forward to the future. Revelation 19.6 talks about the great marriage supper where the Lamb, Jesus, has a banquet and celebration of the bride, the church. It says this, Revelation 19, 6, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Isn't that powerful? This is what we have to look forward to. Now, have you ever gone to someone's house and... um, when you have dinner with them, you just feel like, man, I just feel like they're, they're treating me like I'm someone special. Have you ever had that? Like, okay, maybe like, even like you feel like, I feel like I'm royalty or something, like paparazzi's going to be waiting out. Like, I just, I don't know. This is so over the top. This whole experience is just a whole different thing than what I normally do when I do dinners. That ever happened? Here's, so twice it happened, something kind of like that, probably more than that. But there were two experiences Uh, that happened in Ecuador that were just super, super unique. The first uh, was on, I think it was Tuesday night. So if members of the team are here and I mess all this up, you can correct me out in the lobby. But I think it was Tuesday. What we did 
every day, if you haven't heard this story, in the mornings, we'd do our devotions together. We would eat breakfast and everything. And about 8.30, well, before 8.30, we would leave so that by 8.30, we were at the work site. The work site was this church. It was just a single-story church, and we built the second story. And it was like an exact footprint of what was underneath. So that's what we would do all day long. We'd work on this church until about 2.30 when the kids got there, because then we shifted gears for most of us, and we do VBS. And so we did so much more work than what they thought. We do about twice as much. So like we started with 50 kids. We ended with like 120 kids. You know, we uh, thought we were going to do this much of the church. We, we finished it. Like it was, it was just incredible. And uh, so this is what we do. So Tuesday night, our normal rhythm, we would go back at the end of the day, go back to where we were staying, which was kind of like this Spanish little villa thing, you know, like from the 1800s. It was actually really, really cool. And um, we would take our showers, and then we'd make dinner, and we'd eat dinner. Then we'd clean up dinner and have our devotion and prayer time together and our, our debrief time. So I don't remember the exact time, but I think dinner was finished, and, and I think we were in the process of washing dishes before the devotions, I, I think. But all of a sudden, we start to hear this, this ruckus outside. Like it sounded, it, it sounded like there's a parade or something happening. And I don't know if you've ever had this happen, like just like this is so unexpected and, and so outside the norm. Your brain literally has a meltdown moment. Like your brain is kind of like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know where to stick. And so we're all looking at each other really intelligently, kind of like this, you know, like, what? What is that? You know, and so we were, because none of us knew what was happening. And so we all walk outside and we walk outside. It was the coolest thing. This church had just come, members of this church had come to sing songs of worship in Spanish and then in English and then some songs that I don't think they were worship songs. They were just kind of happy songs, but they just busted it out. And, and it was just, I know it's not going to translate well, but I just want to show you just a little snapshot of what it looked like. Okay, you get the point. So, uh, so by the end of this, by the end of this, our mouths are just hanging to the floor. And again, I know it doesn't translate quite the same, but you know, we're we're dancing with them, we're we're singing songs to the Lord together. We're just it just this incredible moment. And I think what blows me away is the incredible graciousness and generosity. And they looked like they were so overjoyed to be doing it because it was this moment of, of fellowship and community because they didn't view us as people who were working on the church. We were brothers and sisters in Christ. Just incredible. Friday, let me tell you about Friday. So Friday, so cool. On, on Friday, we had, again, done way more work than they expected. Uh, Wednesday, they had to deliver a thousand more block to be able to finish building the church. And we, we didn't hang a front door on, and we didn't put the plaster on the outside. But the roof was there, like the walls were done. It was, it was done. And so they said, we want to change the schedule of what you were planned to do. On Friday night, we want you to come back to the church for dinner. We want to serve you guys dinner. So cool. And then they said, we want to have just this dedication service uh, for the church. So imagine, 
one day when we start to build a church right, right here. It's going to be so good. And, and imagine it's finished. Imagine if the dedication service was on a Friday night. I just brought all the workers together and we did it. That's what they did. We were, we were the free labor, right? And yet they invited us in as family to have a dedication service for the church. I mean, I hope you hear how incredible that is. And so we sit down, and, and all of a sudden, they've totally redone the place. I don't know how they had enough time to do this, but they got cleaned up, and, and then this place had been redone. So they, they had tablecloths on the tables, and they had some decorations up, and then they started to serve us dinner. And as they served us dinner, I think, I may mess this up, but I think it was churrasco that they gave us, which is like a steak, this thin steak with all the fixings and everything. So we ate, and before I show you the picture, then they brought out qui. Cui is a very traditional Ecuadorian dish, super t- traditional. It'd be like going to Frankenmuth and getting the chicken, right? I mean, chicken's not fancy. It's just a traditional what we eat in America. Just when you go to Frankenmuth, you pay a whole bunch more for it, right? I mean, that's how we do it. And yet we smile and we pay it and they just bring us more chicken. You know, that's, that's how it goes. Well, qui are not very, they're about that big, right? They're not very big. You'll see in just a moment, not yet. You'll see in just a moment. But qui, a lot of people in Ecuador will raise qui for their protein source. It's their source of protein. Each qui, each one, will cost about $25. So for two qui, which is how many they purchased, that would be $50 worth of qui, not even including dinner, just for the qui, $50. It's about 10% of what their senior pastor makes in a month, just to put in perspective. And so here's, here's the qui that we ate. And you can look for a second. There's one on the left, and the one on the right's facing you. Um, yeah, so we ate our guinea pig. That's, that's what a qui is. A qui uh, translated... Equals guinea pig. And so we ate the guinea pig. We don't have to look at it anymore. Because the one on the right, did you see? It has a snout. And most guinea pigs I've seen, they don't have snouts quite like that. So I, I didn't even want to think about, like, what am I really eating? You know, you just, you eat it, right? But here's really what hit me by the end. I mean, I'm telling you, I was almost speechless that night as we finished. These brothers and sisters in Christ who didn't know us, God willing, we get to see each other uh, this coming year. I know Ben mentioned it, but in 2020, there's actually two trips uh, through Woodside that's planned. There's one in September doing very similar work to what we did, and one in November doing a Christmas party. Highly encourage you to be in prayer for that, um, because maybe the Lord's going to call you to take some steps of faith and, and go on that trip and serve. But what hit me that night was just the incredible graciousness my brothers and sisters, the love and the compassion of that moment, the generosity of that moment. And so again, I want to ask you, are you doing community with someone? Are you doing faith journey with others? And I'm talking the kind of faith journey when you look and you say, oh my goodness, you have a need. I want to meet that need. You've got a hurt. I want to heal that hurt. I want to walk with you through this. Or when you're having those struggles, you invite them into your life. When there's an area of your life that does not measure up with the Word of God, you don't get super defensive when they come to you and talk to you about it. You open your heart up and say, I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Let's live this life in faithfulness together. That's our second commitment. So I want to end this morning in a way that's different than what we normally do. Of course, we'll end uh, in worship together, but I'd love for you guys all just to stand for me. 
And I want to go back to the passage I read just a little bit ago from Revelation 19. But as I do, I just want you to close your eyes and just picture this moment. Because as we're committed to fellowship together, as we're committed to the breaking of bread together, what we're committing to is continuing to live out and to practice here on earth what we're looking forward to eternity in heaven. Revelation 19, starting verse 6, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride, the church, has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Lord, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for the ability to come together and worship you in spirit and in truth today. Lord, we celebrate the six baptisms this morning, those whose lives have been impacted and changed for eternity. We thank you for their faithfulness in stepping out and showing us the example of how to live by faith. Lord, I do pray for the um, brother or sister in this room that maybe they've never experienced real biblical community before. They've gone to church, they've prayed, they've served, they've given money, but they've, they've never really experienced what it means to belong to a group that's so much bigger than ourselves. They've never opened up their hearts in that kind of a way to really allow for sharpening. Lord, will you just give them the courage to be faithful in living out the gospel? Don't let them be content in leaving here and, and not making this right. So Lord, if that's stopping at the Next Steps desk, if that's filling out a communication card, I just pray that you stir in them and don't let them be content with just going to church. Lord, we, we want to be the church. And Lord, for those who are faithfully stepping this out, continue, continue to give us gl glimpses of what you're doing and how you're glorified in those places. Lord, I even thank you for the testimony after the last service of of what it's done for their family so far this semester at watching their daughter and how her life has been impacted by the life group that they're leading now. Let us continue to be people who celebrate what you're doing through community. Let us be people who continue to be faithful in coming together for fellowship and the breaking of bread. Let us be people who continue to celebrate what you've done yesterday, recognizing what you're doing today, and looking forward to what we know you will do for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.